Hello, Katie. Welcome, everybody, to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about stuff from history you may or may not have heard of. How are you this fine Thursday afternoon? I mean, it's been a wild week of sports, but I'm not a football fan, so I'm not thinking of the England victory over Germany. I tried to get excited over that, but I found it very difficult. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm very excited about that and don't give a flying hoot about tennis. (laughs) That's the one I'm excited about, Wimbledon, and it has been a wild ride this week. I'm so fucking middle class, aren't I? That's the problem. Well, I th- I'd like to think that I'm middle class, <laughs> but I still like football. I've been to um, Henman Hill. I've sat on the on the grass at Wimbledon, and it was a jolly good time. I had lots of fun. But that was because it was hot and sunny, and I was drinking pims and had strawberries. Oh, so much! It's so exciting. So much more exciting than football. I don't really understand football. It's just men kicking a ball up and down a field. Tennis just, is just really men understand. hitting a ball. But there's like back and forth. <laughs> but there's some of those shots are incredible. Like they're like snipers. How you can manage to like get a tiny little ball to just hit like on the line is so impressive. And it's just always like oh, this new. There's just been points scored like every like couple of minutes. But in football, go a whole like ninety minutes. Or more, because there's extra time. Like, nothing happening. I just don't get it. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> or maybe it's not. No. Maybe you're just born with it. <laughs> yeah, we're recording on Thursday because I'm going camping this weekend. Camping or glamping? Camping. Oh. With an actual tent. So let's hope it stays at least dry enough to put the tent up. Shall I get started? Yes, that's it. Okay, so... I put a poll out asking people on social media if they wanted to hear about a historic house or a Tudor mistress, and we had a tie. So this week I'm going to do the historic house, and next week I'm going to do the Tudor. Ah. Well, not next week, but in two weeks I will do the Tudor mistress. Thank so you. you get both. Thank you, Paul, for, for drawing. It gave two weeks worth of content. Yeah, I mean, I put it out on Twitter and Instagram, so that's what messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> next time I'll just do Twitter. Okay, this is the historic house. Have you, Dan, ever heard of Forty Hall? No. Forty Hall? Yeah. Like Forty Towers? Not not Forty. Forty, like the number. Okay. But not with the U. F-O-R-T-Y, Forty. Okay. It is special to me because it is in Enfield, which is where I grew up. My mum actually worked at a school, like, directly opposite the hall. So I've known about this place since I was a child, and my cousin Rosie actually got married there. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Anyone who is in London should definitely make a trip to go and see Forty Hall. Is it a uh, National Trust property? Well, we'll get to who it's owned by now. Cool. Because I'm going to go through the, basically, the owners of the house. So it's kind of a history of who has owned the house as opposed to history of the house itself. Okay, so here we go. So uh, basically what it is, is it's a big like estate with a walled garden. It's got lakes, lawns and meadows and it's a grade one listed building. So if if you're in the UK, you'll know what that means. It basically means like you can't do anything to the building. No things. Yeah, no things allowed. Forget forget the wall glazing. Regardless of (laughs) energy efficiency. Nope. Grade one listed. <laughs> so the style is kind of on the cusp between medieval and modern. That's why it's so interesting. Ooh. And we'll see throughout this episode like, who changed what to the building. It was built originally 
by a Lord Mayor of London, Sir Nicholas Rainton, and that was in 1632. Mm. So this is Stuart era. And we know what sort of opulence those guys like with their yeah, exactly. golden carriages. The Lord Mayor of London, just for clarification, those who don't live in the UK, there's two mayors of London. There's <laughs> the Mayor of London, e.g. Sadiq Khan, who is a politician and makes decisions on things in London that actually affect yeah. London. The Lord Mayor of London switches every year and he is a figurehead. Ceremonial. Rides around, he or she, actually, there have hmm. been, there has been women. Yeah, just rides around in this gold carriage, basically, <laughs> as a ceremony once a year and does things like, you know, ribbon cutting and stuff. They don't get paid. In fact, they have to pay for their own transport, which yeah. is something I found out recently. The normal mayor doesn't get a golden carriage. No, Sadiq Khan doesn't have a golden carriage. <laughs> it would be good if he did. <laughs> okay, so it's located on the edge of London. And if you don't know where Enfield is, it's in the north of London. This is really important because it shows us about the growth of the capital city and the life of like the merchant classes at this time. So it's basically located there because it's a horse ride away from central London. Mm. So obviously a long horse ride, but it's still a horse ride. I mean driving from Enfield to central London is about, I don't know, 45 minutes. Mm. So if you can get an idea of what that would be on a horse. (laughs) Also, there's a Tudor palace that was lost for many years, but found on the site of Forty Hall. Oh, okay. Um, It's called Elsing Palace, and that it's got a monument for that there. How how would you mean by found? Like they didn't use like the um the what do you call them the uh, foundations to build. 40. No, so it's it's not on the site of the actual building. It's on the site of the grounds. Okay then. So they did some excavation and they found the remains of this palace. It was an early Tudor courtier's palace developed by Henry the Eighth and has a history going all the way back to medieval times. So there's a monument for that there, and also. Over this episode, we're going to be talking about like the renovations of the estate, who lived there, and yeah. So let's start with Sir Nicholas Rainton, the first builder of Forty Hall. He built it between 1629 and 1632. Nicholas Rainton was the third son of a Robert Rainton from Lincolnshire. He was baptised on the 10th of June, 1569, so he was probably born earlier that week. <laughs> if you remember from... William Shakespeare's episode, we assume his birthday from his baptism day. So that would have been a Sunday, which means he's probably born that week. Just, yeah, one of those previous six days. <laughs> yeah. On the 16th of November, 1602, Nicholas married Rebecca Mawson at Sir Christopher Lestock Church in London. Rebecca was the sister of Sir Thomas Mawson, who became Lord Mayor of London two years after her husband did. So she was like related to to Lord Mayors of London. They actually didn't have any children. And this is a running theme with people that own this house, (laughs) which is why it's it's like... It's Its lineage is so complicated. (laughs) He established himself as a haberdasher. Haberdasher? Haberdasher. Yeah. (laughs) Haberdasher. He owned a business on Lombard Street, which is in the centre of London. I'm sure some of you Londoners know where that is. As a haberdasher, Nicholas was also allowed to trade in textiles. There were very strict laws at this time on who can trade in textiles, but haberdashers could. Hmm. Oh, he's royal... Ascent or something. It was just because trade in textiles was so, like... They didn't want it to be, like, black market textile. Yeah. 
<laughs> black market because basically britain like relied on that market didn't it to, for its in, like entire income yeah they had to have like um special license yeah. or something so but he could and because of this he amassed a considerable wealth in trading surplus materials such as saf- satin and taffeta from florence taffeta and sarsnets from lucre and satins from uh, bologna and velvets and damasks from genoa Okay, so in 1632, he moved his business to a premises in Cornhill, a very hub of thriving commercial centre. As a successful haberdasher, he became a member of the Worshipful Company of Haberdashers, or we call that Livery Company. I used to work for a livery company, so it's kind of like where all of the people that are involved in that trade, like, hang Hang out. out. Um, he served as master of the company between 1622 and 1623, and then again from 1632 to 1633. That kind of means like he's not like in. Tr- he's kind of like a figurehead of that company, yeah. as well as being a successful merchant. Nicholas played an active role in public life and became an important figure in the city of London. On the second of June 1621, he was elected alderman of the city of London for the Allgate Ward. So Aldermen were the head of their wards and independently possessed great personal power. In a war, they organised the defence of London and in peace, they administered justice for citizens sitting as the court alderman. So yeah, like you said, like a sheriff. Mm. In 1632, Nicholas Rainton was elected Lord Mayor of London. This position was elected annually from the aldermen of the city. So like you can only pick one of the aldermen. Okay. A bit like the Pope. But once a year. He died at Forty Hall in 1646. In his will, Sir Nicholas left money to St. Bartholomew's Hospital, an annuity for apprentices from Enfield. He bequeathed his estate, including Forty Hall, to his great nephew, also called Nicholas. So, like I said, he didn't have any children himself, so Forty Hall passed to Nicholas II. <laughs> <laughs> still in the family, though, still in the family. <laughs> Nicholas II. Nicholas II. Okay, so Nicholas II. Uh, when Nicholas I died in 1646, <laughs> uh, Nicholas II took over. The second Nicholas Rainton enlarged the Forty Hill estate, adding a deer park and incorporating much of land where Elsing Palace had once stood. I mean, I would love to just add a deer park to my house, to my flat. You no, know I really want a deer park. <laughs> just put a deer park in. That's yeah. <laughs> There are fake deer on our little courtyard, but it's not the same. No, it's not at all the same. <laughs> so he he also is believed to have been responsible for building the service courtyard to the west of Fort Hill, including what is now the Long Gallery. The younger Nicholas seems to have been a lot more unpopular than Nicholas I. Yeah. Nicholas I was very popular. Nicholas II, not so popular. No ceremonial positions for him. No. He attended attempted to enclose areas of common land surrounding Forty Hall, which has met with a lot of opposition. For example, some local people had previously been able to graze their animals on this land, and in 1672, angry tenants let loose a large number of sheep, destroying over 20 acres of newly sown corn and clover. Fair. I hate those sort of people. (laughs) I remember when, like, this guy, back when I was living in Colchester, this guy took over, like, one of, like, the farms... And up until that point, we were being able to, like, walk on the side, the, like, bridle-like path, like, on his field. Which, I mean, like, I think is the law. Yeah. Yeah. And then he decided to close them down. It's like, you have to walk on the bridle path. It's like, this is the bridle path. That over there is just the woods that, like, back onto your farm. Like, that guy was a dick. (laughs) 
<laughs> in conclusion, <laughs> don't shut off your areas. Also is known for alleged involvement in the Rye House plot. Now, I don't know if any of you know this. It's basically a plan that had been hatched to murder King Charles II and his brother James, Duke of York, as they journeyed home from Newmarket. However, an informer implicated Nick too, and a collaborator called Major Childs of Enfield. They claimed that the perpetrators of the plot had been grim refuge at Forty Hall. So royal troops searched the house, but no evidence was found there against Rainton. So he had a lucky escape. He was very lucky to survive, as others connected to the plot were actually put to death. Was he actually part of the plot, or was it just people that didn't like him, just fitted him up? Yeah, let's just get him killed as well. He's a dick. Won't let us go on his fucking bridal path. <laughs> <laughs> Unsure, unclear. Um, I don't know. He's. I mean, he seemed pretty... Yeah, it doesn't seem very nice, so no, we we'll put like past Nick too. <laughs> um, so this passing down through relations continued for much time. So who comes next? So just like the previous Nick, Nick too died in 1698 and he left no direct male heir. Male heir. Oh, just now. <laughs> As a result, Forty Hall passed to his grandson, Nicholas Wollstoneholm, child of Rainton's only daughter, Mary, and her husband, Sir John Wollstoneholm, and they lived in previously in Southgate, which is also, like, now it's North London. I think it probably would have been, like, outside London mm-hmm. at this time. Nicholas Wollstoneholm was a young man in his early 20s when he inherited Forty Hall. He had a very beautiful and young wife, Grace Waldo of Pinner, and they were keen to remodel their home in the new, the classical style. One historian called Goff refers to the removal of all the bow windows at this time and added sash windows. So upgrading the windows to a more like classical mm-hmm. style. Wouldn't be allowed to do that now. <laughs> no, grade one listed. <laughs> um, internally, the great chamber and withdrawing room were remodeled to create an elegant suite of three interconnecting rooms. Simple marble fire surround were added and an extension was built to the west of the building that's surprising so they basically took out like the party room i thought since i am they'd like want more party room i think they just like connected the party room so it's like it's like three connected rooms where it's like imagine walking through oh i thought you meant they changed the large room into three rooms no they think they changed two rooms into into one into three rooms that connected Oh, okay then. So it's like you can walk through them. I oh, think okay, so you are making... Yeah, yeah, come. Yeah. Fair so you're just kind of making it into like a... Yeah. Imagine a party room that has different like sections of the yeah. party. It's actually discovered um, later on that the date 1708 and the initials W, G and N had been discovered on lead pipe work, which suggests that the restoration was commissioned by Grace and Nicol- Nicholas Wollstoneholm and was completed in 1708. We know by this time the young couple were heavily in debt and that Forty Hall Estate had already been placed into the hands of trustees. Oh boy. The Wollstoneholme family had long been embroiled in a legal battle concerning debts owed to Nicholas's great-great-grandfather. And although the case was eventually settled in their favour, it was estimated that the cost to the families was above £10,000 in fees. And this is £10,000 in 1700s yeah, yeah. money. That's fair. So... There's a lot of money. Bit of a dent in the old. In 1612, Nicholas was incarcerated in the notorious debtor's prison, Fleet Prison, 
And then he died four years later. Not in the prison, but oh, okay, then. four years later. Michigan House and estates in Northamptonshire and Yorkshire had to be sold in order to settle the family debts. But his beautiful wife, Grace, did not remain a widow for long. And in 1718, she married William Ferdinand Carey, 8th Baron of Hunston. On Grace's death in 1729, Forty Hall passed to her husband's nieces, Mary and Elizabeth Wollstonehome. So this is where we get some women actually, like, taking ownership of this house. Now we have Elizabeth and Mary Wollstonehome. So by the time Elizabeth Wollstonehome married Elab Brenton in 1740, the estate supported some 57 tenants and was said to be worth in the region of 2,800 pounds per annum that's a lot of money in that yeah. in 1700s austin would be very very <laughs> impressed by that amount. um the Bretons were the last owners of forty hill with family connections directly to sir nicholas rainton so this is the last family that are directly related to the guy who built it okay a letter written by Elab in June 1770 describes a very agreeable life spent fox hunting in his Northamptonshire estate, sea bathing in the fashionable new seaside resort of Brighton. It was the Brenton family who created the lawn, the shrubberies, ponds and walks that define Forty Hall today and were responsible for creating the firm Orney. So if you go to Forty Hall now, you don't have to pay anything. You can just walk around and it's beautiful and yeah, it's just like an estate. You can potter around. Nice. You don't have to go inside the building. You can just walk. I do like uh, exploring a historic garden. So Yeah, it's really nice you should go. And it's like on the edge of woods as well. So. Oh, very nice. Um, this was basically the, the firm Orney is like a raised pathway around the estate, which allowed ladies and gentlemen to appreciate the grounds without muddying their fashionable gowns. <laughs> Just like a kind of paved thing. When in 1759, the governor of the Dutch East Indies Company visited Forty Hall, he found Elab's eldest daughter to be educated in... Uh, maths, astronomy, physics, and so beautiful that I do not know whom I can compare her. Oh. Um, Mary went on to marry the MP, John Hope, and produced three blooming boys. Blooming monument- boys? <laughs> yeah, blooming boys. <laughs> um, that's like a quote, that's not me. <laughs> a monument commemorating her short life is found in Westminster Abbey. Yeah. Very nice. Unfortunately, the Brenton's eldest son, Michael, appears to have enjoyed a somewhat... Um, how we say radical lifestyle and shortly after um, Elab's death Elizabeth was forced to sell the entire state for auction due to the misconduct of her offspring oh wow yeah it's kind of like um, so bad that it ruined them a scary vibes of like Madison's wife you know that first lady and her, uh-huh. she like after he died like the son was just like a rascal it's not actually precisely clear what the children did to make Eliza Brenton sell Forty Hall, but the auctioneers describe the house as a spacious mansion with extensive offices, an elegant greenhouse, and a park of 400 acres. The house failed to meet its reserve price, but eventually in 1797 it was bought by an army agent named Captain Edmund Armstrong for £8,800, which is just under £400,000 in today's money. Oh, that's still pretty goddamn good. 
Yeah, but so like, you remember... can't get like a flat for that amount of money now. <laughs> yeah, but remember, there's there's inflation and then there's house prices. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah there's Madness. that's still like a lot of money back then. <laughs> okay, so but, the Armstrongs. Yeah. So in 1789, Edward Armstrong bought the house. The Armstrong family originated um, from Castle Gary in Ireland. As a younger son, Edmund made his living acting as an army agent and as a collector of customs duties in Barbados. Keen to make Forty Hall his own, he removed both the Rainton and the Wollstonehome crests from the building and is believed to have built an entrance lodge with gates at the end of the driveway. However, the Armstrong family does not reside at Forty Hall very long. Edmund's sons William inherited the hall in 1797, but was forced to sell the estate again in order to settle his father's debts. Oh boy. All these people living beyond their means. <laughs> yeah. So now we have the mayors. So the mayors actually resided at Forty Hall for almost a century. So we've got a, a bit more of time with the mayors. So on the 7th of November, 1799... Fourth Hill was sold at auction for a second time, and the new owner was a Mr. James Mayer. Prosperous merchant of Dutch descent, he was keen to establish himself as a country gentleman, whilst at the same time remaining close ties with his business in London. Land that had been sold in 1789 once be- again became a part of the Fourth Hill estate. The main staircase was remodelled and the roof reclad in the Westmore Landstone. New rainwater pipes displayed James's initials were added in the date 1800. He was also keen to involve himself in local affairs and served as a magistrate for many years. He looked after his tenants well, and family documents recall how James kept a shoe mender at Forty Hall who could produce shoes for the poor paid out of James's own pocket. Mm. Which is really That's nice. Sweet. Yeah, I was like, do you know what I really care about? Feet. <laughs> like, he, he could have done any charity work and he went for feet. Um, I mean, feet are uh, an important part of the body. Yeah, maybe he had a toe fetish, who knows. <laughs> Speaking of which, I will be talking about Love Island at the end of this episode. <laughs> Christian Paul Mayer is next up. So James didn't marry, and on his death in 1826, Forty Hall passed his nephew, Christian Paul Mayer. Unlike his uncle, Christian Paul Mayer had four wives, the first being Louisa, daughter of Horson Hart Bodeman, nearby Capel Manor, which is another cool Enfield hotspot if you want to go to Capel Manor. <laughs> um, it was Christian Paul Mayer who paid for the building of Jesus Church on nearby Forty Hill. It basically, literally like opposite, there's a church. Okay. So it's like the church that's right next to it. Apparently, one hot summer day, Christian and Louisa's son, James, refused to walk the two miles into church into Enfield Town. Retaliation, Christian Paul had Jesus Church built nearby so that his son would no longer have any excuse to not attend. <laughs> it's quite a long walk from, like, if you're a child, from Forty Hall to Enfield. Now, I'm like, it's, I mean, there's a Greg's on the way, it's fine, but, like... Back when I was a child, I remember being like, oh man, this is a long walk. It's quite a resolution, though. Fine, I'll just build a church then. How about we just the build a church, like, right <laughs> here? So, now we've got James Mayer too. Second one. After the death of his second wife, Christian Paul Mayer moved to Brighton in 1837, leaving Forty Hall to his son, James. Despite the original initial reluctance to attend church, James grew up to be a God-fearing and well-liked landlord, keen to look after the welfare of his tenants. He sat on many local committees, serving as chairman of the local board of health and as a governor of Enfield Grammar School. 
which is still there. It's yeah. a boys' school. That's where my uncle went. He also established the first infant school in Forty Hill in memory of his beloved sister who had died of tuberculosis, and that's where my mum worked. Oh. Yeah, right, it's right opposite, and it was once featured on Songs of Praise. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like a really nice, like Victorian building. This is just creeped into the Victorian era, so he took it over the same year that Victoria became queen. Okay. So it's 1837. So he married twice, James too. Little was known of his first wife, Frances, but in 1881, James married Georgina Goldfinch and went on to have two daughters, Mary and Catherine. Many photos survive of this period, including pictures of the little girls enjoying climbing trees and rowing in the pond. So this must be like really early photos. Yeah. Because this is Victorian, which is really cool. So we're talking about like those giant box things. Yeah, just stay still for 30 minutes while I take this photo. (laughs) Um, But that, I'm sure you can find those either on the Forty Hill website or maybe in in the actual building. Mm. So now we have the Bowles family. So following James Mayer's death in 1895, the estate was purchased by his neighbour, Mr. Carrington Bowles of Middleton House. The following year, Bowles' eldest son, Harry Ferryman Bowles, came to live at Forty Hall together with his wife, Florence, and their younger daughter, Wilma. Henry's younger brother, Edward Augustus, the world-famous gardener and horticulturalist, continued to live next door, and the two brothers remained close throughout their lives. Under Sir Henry and Lady Florence's ownership, Forty Hall was renovated and modernised. Electricity was installed. Layers of lime wash removed and the main staircase altered once again. So this is where we get lights. <laughs> Let there be light. Account books survive from this period and list, uh, with lists of furniture acquired for the house, uniforms purchased for the servants, and even £16 paid for Wilma's horse riding lessons. <laughs> £16 is so quite, much in the yeah. 1890s. That's pretty pricey. Like previous owners of Forty Hall, Henry Ferryman Bowles took a keen interest in local politics and civic life. He was twice elected Conservative MP for Enfield, and in 1926, he was created a baronet in recognition of his political and public service. Well, for the political party, boo! Boo! Um, Lady Florence was also very much involved in local affairs and was a keen supporter of the newly established Girl Guides movement. In June 1913... Henry Foman Bowles' only child, Wilma, married Eustons Parker, and with this marriage, um, the family name became Parker Bowles. Uh. Yeah, so there we go. Derek Parker Bowles and his family continued to live at Forty Hall until 1951. The estate was then sold to Enfield Urban District Council and the house converted into a local museum. Oh, okay, then. So it was the Parker Bowles family who actually sold it to the council. No way. Yeah. So now you can visit the Halls Museum. You can walk around the grounds. They have a farm with actual animals. They have a... Well, actual animals, of course they do. They have a farm shop with, like, eggs and, like, you know, local-made produce. Like, oh, got some cool. really nice, like, juice from there. Like, you know, meat, if you're into that kind of thing. Bread, etc. Um, yeah, they have a vine a vineyard vineyard like in on the state they have a massive lake in the middle they host like plays and performances indoors and outdoors they have one that's coming up in august which is like 
the Rainton family and they're getting actors to like play the original owners of the house. Um, and they have, uh, you can hire it. That's an extortionate amount of money for your (laughs) wedding or event. And it's really cool and nice and everyone should go visit it. And that is a short history of the owners of Forty Hall. It's quite interesting that uh, so many of these massive kind of mansions were just sold off to like councils or like um, charities or whatever, like National Trust stuff. But let's go find the council. Like, yeah, how much would they pay for like a massive house? I'm guessing like I don't know. I, I, I don't guess know like the house like... is just too expensive to run anymore, so like it's just not economic yeah. for the like for the aristocratic family. But then they're going to get it. They're going to sell it for like a massive knockdown price, right? Like the council's not going to pay. I, I don't know how much it was sold for. I'm sure that that information is out there. Yeah. It's like public information. It's just quite an interesting trend that just like the uh, passing of uh, of these historic houses from. Well, in the aristocratic families too. I guess in the fifties, it's just not practical to keep a house that big anymore. Yeah, totally. Like it's not the it's it's not the same as like back in the Victorian or Georgian or Hmm. Edwardian era or Tudor era, where you had servants and people working on the house. You know, one point there were like. 57 people working there that's not the same now hmm. people aren't working there and they also not... used to make money out of the house right it used to be yeah exactly like loads of money whatever. yeah well farmland but also hmm. like you know produce Rent, yeah. yeah and yeah like you said like well yeah interesting yeah so that's so while that's the, uh, of the house. while the government sells council flats to people they buy massive houses off Rich people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. Um. So what are you going to do with the, your weekend? Uh, I don't know. I'm at a loose end and I uh, I have no plans, so I feel a bit lost. All right, you can watch the football on Saturday. <laughs> I will probably not be watching the football on Saturday. <laughs> I am watching Love Island. It's okay. Can I just it's put that okay. out there to everyone? It's not so, so. gripping me <laughs> as much as the last six seasons have gripped me. I well, think that they need some more people in there who are going to, like, I don't know, be more interesting. But hashtag yeah. liberty to win. She is just this... She's, like, ditzy, but I just want to, like, wrap her in cotton wool. She's, like, want to keep her safe. She, she's just, like, really sweet and nice. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you're too nice Wrong for this for her, horrible yeah. <laughs> world of reality television. I'll probably I- stick to Wimbledon. I probably should write some demos, really. I haven't done any music in ages, so I might do that. Well, if you are at least send, you could go back and listen to some of our other old episodes, which you haven't listened to, or you can recommend this to a friend, or you could take two minutes out of your busy, busy life to give us a five-star rating and leave us a review, and that would be incredibly nice of you. Yeah, and uh, follow us on social media, at uh, on, on Instagram and Twitter, at Have You Ever Pod. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.